Good morning. We are in for a treat today. Before I get started, um, does any youth here have their Bible with them? Like a physical Bible, not a phone. You do? Where is it? Okay. We're going to start with a story here. Um, This is a $100 bill. And... um, (laughs) Nice try. Where's that Bible? You need to open that up. So this is a story that happened in 1991 that impacted me so much that it changed my faith in God about his faithfulness. Can you just open that up? There you go. So in 1991, I was in Bible college. My wife was in, you were at UNC. I think this, we were engaged and we were in love, had no money, and it was naively perfect. Um, I was going down to Bible college every week down in uh, Woodland Park. Um, uh, Andrew Womack was one of my Bible teachers, plus some other great ones as well. And so we were doing a series. A teacher came up and said, hey, we're going to, uh, we have been doing a series on the names of God. Um, you may have heard of them. For example, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Rapha. Uh, has anyone heard of those before? Okay, you're right. Uh, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. Just for a side note, the word Jehovah was translated in 1530 by Tinsdale. It was actually not actually translated from Hebrew until the year 1530. It was actually hard to name, to actually take the Hebrew word or the symbol for God and translate it to English. It actually um, has been viewed as Yahweh. We call it Jehovah, and actually some actually consider it actually Adonai. All right, but we in our culture and then our translations use the word Jehovah. By the way, that's not sacrilege. It just helps to communicate, okay? And it means the Lord are, the Lord, Jehovah's the Lord. So um, anyways, the instructor says, hey, we're going to um, uh, take some time here and learn about the Jehovah names. And he's told us to turn to Genesis 22. Now, before I continue my story, I want to let you know that this is right before Thanksgiving. Kim and, Kim's family lives in Montana. Live, her parents lived in Montana at the time. And we needed to drive from Fort Collins to Montana, and we didn't have the funds. So the instructor continues to say, hey, um, we're going to learn about Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. As I'm turning through my Bible to Genesis 22, could you turn to your, into your Bible? Now, just go ahead. Just flip through your pages. Do you have bookmarks in your, in your Bible? Or do you keep crushed flowers, hankies, anything like that? I don't. I don't keep any of that in my Bible. So he tells us to go to Genesis 22. We're sitting down at the beginning of class. I'm just flipping through my Bible like this. And something catches my attention. I have nothing in my Bible. And I go, whoa, 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 what was that? I scroll back, I look, He's, everyone's page two to Genesis 22, and I stop, and right there is a $100 bill in my Bible. And I needed $100 in gas. That back then could buy you about 20 gallons. Today, <laughs> <clears throat> I literally stopped the class and shared the testimony of God's faithfulness. It was at that moment, I think I was probably 20 years old. Um, Right then, I knew that Jehovah Jireh became real to me. So today, I would like to take a few moments to talk about Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And my title today is Jesus, Our Provision. Pastor Kurt's been doing a series called Jesus Encounter, right? You all know that? He actually is a genius with this because we could go three years on this series, right? It's just, there's so many facets on encountering Jesus and the word of God that we could just take three years to touch on it. Today, 
I ask that you would just give me a few moments to take one facet of that and look at Jehovah Jireh. God will provide, and more specifically, I want to clarify, Jesus, our provision. Okay? All right, so if you want to turn to Genesis 22, I'm going to bring up my Bible and this fancy thing called a phone. And um, are you going on a mission trip? No? You should. <laughs> this is what I think. I think just on a side note, if you've never been on a missions trip, I think everybody who's a believer should go on a missions trip to find out one of two things. One, that you're called to missions, or two, you're called to support them. <laughs> I'm serious. I've led, how many mission trips have we led, Kim? Dozens upon dozens. And there's two types of people. Ones that I want to go again with and ones I don't. I help them figure out their call. Anyways, there's $100 to go towards your next mission trip. We're going to open up in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. I don't know if it's on the screen, but I'm reading out the New King James Version. You can follow along. Now, it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. First thing right there, when God speaks to you, the best response to say is, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Don't you love how God just kind of rubs that in? Now, take your only son, the one you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose, went to the place which God had told him. Verse 4, then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, the lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. He didn't say I, just make a note of that. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, his son. How awkward would that have been? And, uh, and he took the, took the fire in his hand and the knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father, um, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. When I get to heaven, I'm like, Lord, could you just re replay that scene? I just want to see how that went down. And Abraham stretched out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you feel, fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked. And there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. And your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men. They rose and went to Beersheba and Abraham dwelt there. Wow, that was a lot. You literally could take a semester on that chapter right there to break that out. But I wanted you to know that at that moment, Abraham said, the Lord will provide. He surrendered his heart to God. The promise that God spoke to him, he surrendered that to God, and God said, I trust you, and then provided an offering. And Abraham said, the Lord will provide. And then God spoke a covenant, re-spoke re again the covenant that already Abraham had learned about a few chapters before and said, this is my promise to you. God said, this is the destiny and the purpose I have for you.
Couple of things I want to say here. One, Abraham had already made covenant with God, or better said, God had already made covenant with Abraham. Abraham knew God. That's why he was so confident to go, great field trip in the morning, let's go, up and early. God promised him to be the father of many nations, so many descendants beyond the number of stars. This included the seed of his children, but also the seed of Christ. The promise that God gave Adam and Eve, he was fulfilling through Abraham. And he said, all the world, all the stars will be come from your seed. Abraham already saw the miracle birth of Isaac after trying to make God's promises happen himself by having an Ishmael. He saw God still bring forth Isaac. God was faithful to give him a son. When God told Abraham to sacrifice his son, his son to God, he got up early the next morning, no delay. Why? He already seen the faithfulness of God, and he knew God would provide. He even said to his two young servants, we will be back. It says actually in Hebrews, if you read the book of Hebrews, it talks about that Abraham knew that God would either provide or raise his son from the dead. That's how confident Abraham was in God. By the way, back in those times, it was not odd for a God, G-O-D, small G-O-D, to ask you to sacrifice your son. Okay, that culture was there. So that's, for us, we're like, whoa, this is really out there. For Abraham, that was not unfamiliar amongst the gods, the lower small G in the culture that was not following the God. So that was not uncommon for him, for God to ask him that was not uncommon. He was like, okay, that's what we do. But see, God, this is so important. Why did that need to happen? It wasn't because God needed Isaac. It was because God needed Abraham's heart and he needed to know Abraham. He needed to tell Abraham, I am different than every other God. And I'm gonna show you how. That's why he did it. That's my opinion. All right, so Abraham fully surrenders his fate to God, offering even the promise back to him, and we see that the Lord provided a ram, and then he reinstates the promise. Here's my point, one of my points. One, Jehovah, Yahweh, or Adonai means the Lord. It's not translated as God, it's actually Lord. And the Lord, or Jehovah Jireh, is the Lord who provides. He is, he provides. God is our provider. This is very, you might be interested in this. It's just a slight different way to look at it, but the Lord was speaking to this, has spoken this to me. Abraham looked into the thicket and saw a ram. The offering was the provision. God is our provider. Jesus is our provision. There is a distinction. God said, I will provide. Then he puts his word in action with the covenant and and partnered with Jesus and said, and he is the provision. That way you can put your eyes and say, I can trust God and I can see the promise. I can hear what God said and I can see his provision through Jesus. The Lord is the one that keeps covenant. Jesus is the manifestation or the revelation of the proof of God's character, God's word, God's promise, and God's surety of his covenant. We distinct that because we have a relationship with one God defined in three, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Jesus is the one that kept covenant with God. And we are able to put our faith in him. So the Lord made a promise to Adam and Eve, then to Abraham. But Jesus was the man who could keep covenant with God so that God could establish his kingdom on earth with all mankind through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of his son. Jesus said himself, whoever hungers and thirsts, come to him, come to me to eat and drink. Jesus is the provision. Father God is the provider. Therefore, when we ask God to provide, we can look to Jesus as our provision. God is our source. Jesus is the manifestation of it. 
I want to go few, a few things here. If you want to, you can turn to Matthew 6. I'm going to fly through a couple of these. If I jump ahead, it's okay. You'll catch up. Sorry, I, don't have, I didn't have time for the full outline um, on screen, but we'll just follow along. It says in Matthew 6, 26 through 27, Jesus says, you know, God wants to bless his children. He says, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value to them than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Jesus was saying, you are children of God in him. And if he cares for the lilies of the field and the birds of the air, won't he take care of you? Okay? Now, it also says here in Genesis 12, I know I'm bouncing, but just bear with me here. We talk in second point, Genesis 12, verses 2 through 3. God is speaking to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That was the promise. What you need to understand is that God, because you're a descendant of Abraham through Christ, God has not said, not only will I take care of your needs, I've called to make you a blessing to bless others. We know this, but we're going to talk about how to live this. Three. Now, man, have you ever heard a preacher preach on grace from Deuteronomy? <laughs> well, we're about to. Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 20. It says here, Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply and go and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. Verse 2. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. By the way, God already knew what was in their hearts. He needed them to know what was in their hearts. So he humbled you, allowed you to, to, to be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not, know, uh, did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. For your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell those 40 years. Could you imagine? For 40 years, they wore the same clothes? Like that is, how did they do that? There was no stylist back then. Nope, you get one, and it's yours for 40 years. Those poor teenagers. <laughs> you should know in your heart that as a man, sorry, I just, on a side note, I heard this comedian say, I'm at the age now that I buy my groceries and clothes at the same place. It's called Costco. <laughs> Preachers do weird things, man. We're talking up here. Stuff pops in our head. Is that you, Jesus, or not, or what? You know, just keep going. You should, yeah. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord God has chastened you. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey. Is that what you guys just saw? (coughs) Is it amazing? You will eat bread without scarcity. And you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron, and out of those hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Verse 11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply... And your silver and gold are multiplied. And all that you have is multiplied when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness 
in which fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness. Can you just see God is just like, hey, don't forget. Why does he do that? Because we forget. (laughs) It's so true. Nothing's changed. Us humans. Your father, oh, I lost my verse. Where did it say? Okay, uh, 16, thank you. Who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers didn't know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end, that you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. In 18, and you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is as it is this day then it shall be if you by any means forget the lord your god and follow other gods and serve them and worship them i testify against you this day that you shall perish we'll stop there god was bringing them into their promised land it was going to give them such an abundance above and beyond He was telling them, do not think that you did this yourself. Two, I give you the ability and the power to gain wealth to establish my covenant. That covenant promise is ours today in Christ. That God has said, I am here to establish my covenant through my son, Jesus Christ, who is the provision of that covenant, to be able to let all men and all women and all children know the goodness of God and receive the gift of righteousness so they can be adopted into the father, uh, father's family if once and for all. And he says, I'm doing this to establish my covenant. He's doing this to establish his covenant. Come on. Thanks, MJ. The Lord's covenants are not established without provision. Guys, say that again. The Lord's covenant is not established without provision. His covenant is established. Jesus is the provision. And he's doing this not only for your salvation, the forgiveness of sins, and the gift of righteousness, but actually says you have a purpose, a call, and a destiny. You're no longer a slave. You're a son, and you're now an ambassador with God. You're a partner with God. He's the best business partner you could ever have. Your life cannot walk in the fullness of blessing when you're continually struggling with provision. My point here is we either walk in the belief we are sons, children of God, that we walk with Christ as heirs with the riches of heaven to establish his covenant, or we walk as slaves begging for crumbs daily. We are positioned in Christ to partner with God. I'm going to spend the rest of this message talking to three or four groups. Here we go. Now, it's, this, this was a lot of foundational And it's really important to understand that the provision in Christ established in Genesis 12. Started back then. Group one. And now we're going to talk about daily life. Maybe you have daily needs, food, shelter, or clothing. They may be a regular challenge to be met. Group two, your daily needs are met. Maybe you give regularly or occasionally. Maybe you're right below or slightly above, comfortable. You might be saving for retirement. You might not. You have debts to pay off. Group three, you're comfortable. Your life is financially blessed. There may be a little need for you to make any more money. You're on track to retire well. My bonus group four. Okay, these are the nuts. These are the faith-filled dream chasers who have this ability to believe God for huge, and they're waiting for provision to get the next level of kingdom expansion happening in their life. They're dead. They have dedicated their life fully to God to see the miraculous. I don't know about you, but I want to be part of that crazy group. Okay, here's my disclaimer. This is really important to say, okay? I'm about to talk about money and finances and wealth from the pulpit on a Sunday morning at a church that I'm not the senior pastor of. (sighs) I do want to let you know, I spoke with Pastor Kurt before. I said, hey, I'd like to talk on this. We talked. I have his blessing on this topic. Why do I do that? Just as a side note, this is really important to understand. Okay, 
He and Emily are anointed to lead this church. I'm underneath them. I honor them by saying, hey, I think this is what the Lord's telling me. Is this a green light for you or not? If he said no, guess what do I do? I say, I go back to the prayer room and say, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to preach on? It's called honor. It's very important. I just, just something that we all need to learn to do. I'm also the treasurer of the church, as you guys, most of you know, but I'm not speaking on any knowledge that I have in that, in that role, nor will I be manipulating you into giving, nor will I be asking for a special offering for a jet airplane, nor pledges of obligation. Um, and finally, please don't turn your ears off because you've heard a couple ministers abuse this topic and then project that onto any other minister in judgment and say, well, he's talking about money. I'm checked out. All right, we good? Okay. <laughs> What's that? Lock the doors. And lock the doors. <laughs> oh my gosh, you guys. It's going to be a fun day. Here we go. Um, I've had the privilege of helping close to 500 families buy homes. I was in mortgage financing for 22 years. I've recently retired from doing that. I put it this way I've helped people get the American dream to own a home to put them in debt for 30 years. Try to reconcile that. <laughs> We laugh, but it's true. Okay, seriously, I was primarily a wealth consultant that helped families build wealth using real estate and correct debt tools and put them into a proper place. I've told many clients not to buy houses because it was a bad financial decision. I've helped many customers acquire multiple properties to build wealth. In my last years, I've helped many homeowners shift over to change the way they think about financing too, instead of relying on the bank, start becoming a bank themselves and actually be able to have their house paid off in about 11 years and therefore be able to free themselves to be able to do things for the kingdom of God like they've never done before. So let me ask you this. If you could have a house paid off in 10 years instead of 30 years, do you think that would free up some things that God's called you to do? Because the biggest debt in America is the house. I'm not going to give you any Dave Ramsey stuff today except for a couple. Um, But... uh, I would like to just uh, share with you um, a little bit of Kim's and I's story of God taking us into our promised land over the last 30 years and the journey it's been. One, we had to trust God with our finances. Two, we had to renew our mind about finances. We had to think of the way kingdom thinks, the way God thinks, not the way the world thinks. Three, we had to give to God with our finances. Four, we had to listen to God and obey him with our finances. It's not been a linear up and to the right journey, right? It's had valleys and peaks and valleys and peaks and valleys and peaks. God walked us through our hearts being established in him, and I want to share a few things with you on that. After God gave us the $100 bill, it was evident like, whoa, God made it very clear, this is what I want to begin teaching you. We were able to buy our first house. Yes, it was at 8% interest rate. Oh, God forbid. I just want to tell you right now, God does not worry about interest rates. He's not worried about our economy. He's not worried about inflation. He's not worried about what men does because God supersedes it all. I want to encourage you today to get to the place where no matter what man does or says, our God is still our provider. Okay? He's going to give you strategies to do that. Here we go. Tip. Okay, first on the side, this is just some little financial tips. Um, God uh, had to save up money for a down payment because we learned to steward with our W-2 income, and it's called a budget. If you're not good with money or budgets, there's no condemnation. You weren't born with a finance manual, okay? Your parents may not have taught you this. It's okay. Don't blame them, all right? You can learn. Just to let you know, you can. there are some great resources out there. My only plug for Dave Ramsey is he's got a financial peace university on how to do budgeting. I think we've offered it here, right, Pastor Emily? Um, and I know we've offered every so often. I think that's a great tool if you don't know how to budget, for example, because, hey, about 30% of your income, gross income, should be put towards housing. If you do more than that, you're going to sink. That's basically how it works. Um, But those are good tools to do that. So buying a house was a blessing um, as we implemented stewardship principles. So here we go. I got four points for you that I want to talk about. Point number one is stewardship. We seek, that word is not used very often. We think of the word manager. But what you do with what God gives you is the first lesson. What you do with what God has given you financially is the first lesson. Okay, it's where I have been seeing many people never get past. It takes faith or trust in God that it's all his and we surrender it all to him. 
To manage the steward, what he gives you requires a kingdom heart of trust and faith. If we look in Luke chapter 16, I'm not actually going to read it all um, before time, because of time, but it's actually the parable of the dishonest steward. Okay, so there was a, a manager managing a wealthy man's stuff, and the, the, the wealthy man said, hey, I heard you've been dishonest with my books. And so he, go, he, and he goes, I'm letting you go. How nice of him to give him a heads up that I will be firing you someday. I'm like, most of all, I'm like, wow, that's crazy. He shouldn't, you know, so quickly the man was shrewd. And he goes to all these men that are these, these businesses that owe his uh, manager money and says, hey, if you have to give him $100 or 100 bushels of corn, cut that in half. He just starts slashing. And what he was doing, and the, the owner said, wow, you are very shrewd. He was actually commenting on how you actually were preparing yourself for a crisis by getting favor with all these people that as soon as you were fired, okay, you would able to have a door to go be blessed. And then it says, Jesus says, I wish children of light were as shrewd as him. Not dishonest, but wise to think about the future. It goes on to say in Luke chapter 16, uh, where to go here? I, um, it's the verse, I apologize, I didn't write it down. Maybe someone could look it up. Well, if you're faithful with little, he'll make you faithful over much. If you're dishonest with little, he'll be dishonest over much. And to talk about that, walking through that journey of being diligent or a good steward with what God has given you. There is a principle. How many, I mean, if you have children or, or if you have nieces or nephews or seen kids, okay, you don't just say, hey, if it's an eight-year-old, here's $100, why don't you go to the convenience store and go buy yourself something? <laughs> why are you shaking your head? <laughs> that would be a nightmare. Why would that be a nightmare? Because all the candy would be in your house, right? They would just blow it. You would give them a couple bucks to help them manage their level of stewardship, right? Because they do not have the emotional capacity, the self-restraint, the experience, the knowledge of what to do with $100. Most don't. Unless you have that kid that goes, thanks, mom, and goes, puts it in their bank, their piggy bank. You're like, whoa, kid's on his way to be a millionaire. But what, do you understand when I'm, what we would do that with kids? Okay. It's also why most people who win the lotto go broke in two or three years and have their life a complete mess because they haven't grown in the capacity, the wisdom, the knowledge, the experience emotionally, relationally, or mentally, or how to be a steward of what God gave them to be able to manage that. So it's no different than an eight-year-old than a 60-year-old winning the lottery or something. Point number two. So first, learning to be a steward. Point two, vision. You have to see beyond you. You have to start seeing yourself being a blessing to others. What covenant is God making with your destiny and purpose? Let me repeat that again. What covenant is God making with your destiny and your purpose unique to you? Have you asked that question? Specifically for finances? God, what covenant, purpose, and destiny are you calling Kim and I to steward, and how do I partner with you, and do I have the capacity for it? Have you ever asked that question? Most of us ask the question, Lord, how are you going to pay this utility bill? We got to see beyond just our needs and start saying, God, if you called me to be a blessing, to bless others, I have to have a vision for that. Three, point three. Whoo, okay, Pastor Kurt, any, any, any text, emails you get, just direct them to me, Okay. Number three, sowing. You can't reap what you don't sow. In other words, you can't get a harvest what you have not planted. But this also requires hearing and obeying. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 6 through 7, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Love that verse. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
I am not even going to broach the subject about tithes and offerings. Pastor Kurt and Emily do a great job in communicating with our church on that. I am going to broach the subject and say, if you want to walk in abundance, you have to start being a giver with what you have now. It is simple as that. You have to sit and say, wait a second. Do I believe all the riches in Christ Jesus which is not only in my righteousness, but also provision on this earth, are his, and he is the faithful one that fulfilled the, God's a provider, Jesus is the provision, then all of a sudden, then I have to say, wait a second, as a son, daughter, child of God, all the resources of heaven are available to me. It changes how you think. It changes how you perceive when somebody steals something from you. It's, it's a violation, it's disruptive, it's, ugh, I've been there. But a great way to say, wait a second, Jesus, you have it all. They must need it more than I do. <laughs> MJ, love you, bro. Okay. Learning to give out of your abundance now. And when I say give, you think, oh, he's just talking about giving to the church. I'm talking about giving to every good work that God is involved with. Let me ask you this. Make a list of every good work you want to give to and start giving a dollar. Just start. Don't wait till you have 100, 50, 1,000. Just do it now. Because your heart will prime your heart. Okay? Don't mean to spend a lot of time on, wow, time slides. Point four, here we go. Start pointing for harvest. Most of us want the harvest overflow without points one, two, and three. We want God's blessing without stewardship, without vision, and without sowing. We want the harvest. Yes, we do want the harvest. But my question is, Lord, I'm not praying for the harvest. I'm praying, Lord, do you trust me with the harvest? Do you trust me with the harvest, God? God, um, I've already spoken on that. I do believe God wants to partner with us to not only take care of your needs, but to be a blessing to those around you. Here's a simple way. Eric Brady and I went fishing at Lake McConaughey at Labor Day, didn't we? And I was taking a nap. He's fishing, catching catfish or something and comes running back to camp going, wake up, Matt, I can't bring this in by myself. I get my butt out of bed, I run over, we get into the boat, and we're bringing in hogs of these catfish. And we have this beautiful um, fish fry, and we feed up, feed all the neighbors that night. There were kids and people were coming out, it was the best thing ever. Fun story. But is the abundance of your household to the point that you have so much that your cupboards can't handle it? And you have to say, hey, how can I help my neighbors and so forth like that? God wants to put you in a harvest to establish your covenant. All right, John chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. We don't have time to read this, but it's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. We have one boy out of 5,000 that said, hmm, I should probably bring something to eat. (laughs) Or he had his mom go, don't leave this house without taking some food and (laughs) loaves. That's probably really what's going on, right? Okay, out of 5,000 people, this boy's like, here we go. Jesus modeled what to do. The disciples like, this week, this is going to be a half a year's salary to feed all these people. Jesus said, hey, give it to me. Okay, he took it, he broke it, he gave it to God. He said, Lord, thank you. And then he instructed, now go feed the people. If you are limited to what you see in your hand, you will never believe God for the miraculous. You have to have vision beyond what's in your hand. And trust that that's going to do it. That's in John chapter 6. Um, bring your requests to God. Listen and follow his instructions. I want to give you a couple testimonies real quick that I think are important to hear the faithfulness of God. One, uh, when Kim and I were selling our second home, um, or as our first home, excuse me, our first home, buying a second home, I was driving to the, the house um, that it hadn't sold for several months, 
And so we really felt this is where we were supposed to move. And I was asking God, how do we, how do, we do, how do we sell the house and buy this one? I'm driving up to um, the mailbox at this house, and I heard the Holy Spirit say, I want you to give $500 to this ministry. I said, okay. The problem was is I only had $600 in my savings account. I was like, but Lord, that's like, you know, he's like, I will be your realtor. Sorry for my realtor friends here. I love you, but God decided to be my realtor in that situation. He goes, I will be your realtor. I'll take care of the sale of the house. I want you to listen. So I told Kim, she said, okay. So we did that. Our house sold in seven days, more than asking price when interest rates were at 8%. She paid off her student loans with the sale of the house. Do you see that God wants, if you listen and follow God, he will bring abundance and harvest to you supernaturally, but you have to be willing to hear, and he's going to ask you, do you trust me? And it, he would have blessed us if I didn't. It just would have been a little harder. <laughs> Another one. Um, I just want to share these stories of God's faithfulness and how he provides for us miraculously. When we were young, um, we're still young, babe, right? We're still young. When we were younger, um, uh, I had, was working for the city, and the Lord uh, was putting in my heart to go into youth ministry. The church um, that I was, I was offering me a position really had no money. <laughs> I mean, they're like, hey, yeah, it's just, we're going to just trust God every month. Cool. When you're young and have a call, you're like, yeah, let's do this. And I didn't even pray this request, but as a desire of a heart of mine, I just was like, Lord, I really, I didn't even say Lord. It was just a thought. I said, um, man, I really just wish um, I had about three months take-home pay in my savings account, just, just for some wisdom, right? And of course, I condemned myself. I said, well, man, you don't have enough faith. Just trust God. Get off that train, by the way. <laughs> don't condemn yourself. So then a few weekends later, I went to a men's retreat, was sitting next to a retired colonel. And at the end of worship or end of the session, he turns to me and says, hey, God told me to bring this and I was supposed to give it to somebody here and you're the person. And he pulls out of his uh, coat jacket and he hands me an envelope from the IRS and it was his IRS tax return check. And he signed it over to me. I was like, oh, that's cool. I'm like, all right, Whatever. Thanks, God. I don't know what that means. Go home, tell Kim. She's like, wow, that's really cool. I wonder what God wants us to do with that. Like, I don't know what God wants to do with that. That's just really cool. And then God's like, okay, you're being a little dense. Um, let me help you out here. He goes, go get a calculator, because it was before cell phones. I know, God forbid, there was such a time. Um, um, and go get a calculator, and I need you to calculate your three-month take-home pay. The IRS wrote this man a check for his refund, an odd dollar amount, and all the way to the dollar, it was an exact match. God wants to bless you and establish his covenant and give you even above your dreams and desires before you ask. But are you willing to say, Lord, I'm trusting you? Now, you may say, man, Matt, Kim, you guys must really have it good. I do want to say this. James 4, 2 through 3. This is a great scripture you put up. Um, I was talking with Eric Brady this week, and he has a cool story. But the scripture says, you have not because you. Can you all start doing something for me? Can you start asking? Now, when I say start asking. I want you to start asking questions. Say, Lord, what do you want to put in my hand to be a blessing to establish your covenant for other people to be a blessing? Not, Lord, give me everything. Give me all the riches so I can have a big car and a big house just for me. No, no, no. That's where it went south in the 80s and 90s. They had a principle that took over by man's heart instead of listening to God. God wants to bless you to be a blessing. All right, so 18 years in, you know, 18 years ago, Kim and I are like, hey, God's going good. Then we lose our job. I lost my W-2 job three months in my house. Kim worked for the same company, lost her job a couple months later. We had a house, three kids, a minivan, and a dog. It was great. 
we entered the desert land, all right? This is my summary real quick on this. The desert land was like this, is that we, were, we started a business. The business was successful, but it wasn't enough to actually pay our bills. I think we were making like 1,500 bucks a month. Doesn't really help everything. We were using a second mortgage to pay for our first mortgage. How many of you know that's a bad idea? <laughs> yes, that is a bad idea. On top of that, I got a job with an international bank in finance. I said, man, Matt, you're going to go far with this company. I go, great. Next week later, they laid me off. Then I took a job with another well-known bank. I won't mention their names, but I worked there for two months just to find out that they were doing unethical things. Obviously, this was before 2008, and I quit. Kim and I are like, what do we do? And I'm like, I just feel God's telling me to get into mortgage finance more and start my own business, but we had no money. We're like, Lord, we were 60K in debt at least, not being able to pay our bills, wondering if we're gonna have to sell the house. And in the midst of this journey, it was pretty intense. We had people, neighbors give us food. We had friends wrote us a check to pay our mortgage payment one month. My wife had, and this was a hard, hard thing for me. My mom, uh, my mom, my wife, would, Kim would go to the food bank to get food for her family. That is humbling. That's hard, especially for men. That, 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 that was, okay, God. Whew. And then Caleb's like four, five, or six, somewhere in there, and his bike breaks. Unrepairable. Zero money to buy your son a new bike. Kim, in tears, kneels down in the driveway at her house and says, Caleb, we're just going to pray and ask God for a bike for you. And if I remember right, it's either that afternoon or the next day, the neighbor down the street had three sons. Two hours later, comes down, knocks on the door. He says, hey, Kim, the boys have outgrown their bikes. Does Caleb need a bike? So when you're in the midst of the absolute worst, God wants to show himself faithful, if you ask. So God, Caleb called that bike God's bike for the longest time. So we were in the hole quite a bit financially. In Luke chapter five, Jesus said to the disciples, put down, the deep, put down in the deep water, let down your nets, they were like, we, we already fished. We already did everything we could, but okay. They had so many fish that they had a call and help from another boat, and both boats started sinking. Both boats started sinking. Wow. So I will say this. The voice of the Lord needs to come to you. Jesus said, put your nets on the other side in the deep water. And their response was, but we've been fishing all night. But because you said, we will. Some of you need to hear the voice of the Lord. And I'm going to use a word that a lot of grace churches don't like to use, but I know it's okay here. And you need to obey it. Obedience is not a curse word. It's actually freedom. It's freedom from doing it your way. It's freedom from trusting your own ability. It's freedom from looking at the loaves and fishes and saying, this is all I got. It's freedom from your own heart limitations and saying, God, what do you want me to do? So here we are, 2008. Uh, did anyone know what happened in 2008? A little crisis in the world. And I decided to start a mortgage business. <laughs> Not getting many leads, and the voice of the Lord came to me through my dad. My dad said, you need to advertise. I go, Dad, I have no money. I'm 60K in the hole, can't pay my bills. I think my credit cards are maxed. And he goes, I know, son, but I really just think you're supposed, you need to take some efforts here. So Kim and I felt that was the voice of God. So we took our last credit card, and I was like, well, I think I'm going to call this radio station. Because I had a buddy that was in mortgages that was extremely successful and did really well on the radio, on some radio station. So I randomly called a radio station. They go, guess what? I go, what? A spot just opened up for a mortgage lender. I go, really? 
You're like, yeah, this guy can't do it anymore. That guy had to be my friend. He was so successful, the IRS didn't like it. So he had to make some other choices, like pay the IRS back. So he shut his business down, canceled the ad. And the week I called, it opened up the week before. I put the ad and found out it was $3,000. Kim and I go, well, what's another three grand? If you're sinking, you're sinking good. <laughs> now, literally, that's the conversation we had. Do you hear the faith in that? It's just full of faith. <laughs> if we're going to go down, we're going down good. I had a detailed spreadsheet. And in three months, that investment that God told us to do tripled our investment. It was in 2009, 2010. Rates were dropping. Lenders were going out of business. And the harvest came in that I, for the next 12 months, was getting three to five phone calls a day. We had supernatural financial debt payoff in about 18 months. All of it was paid off. All our bills were caught up. We took our kids to Mexico, and we got a new minivan. Okay? By 2010, okay, when no one was buying real estate, you could buy it super cheap. The Lord said, go buy some rentals. Could not get any other investors to buy them. God said, trust me, and I will lead you into prosperity so you could be a blessing to others. And a side note, here's a good little tip. When everyone's buying, you sell. When everyone's selling, you buy. Just let you know. Just listen to the Holy Spirit on that. But there's ways you can, there's things you can do on that. I'm trying to tell you that God wants to take you from here to here to be a blessing. And you go, well, how did that help you guys blessing? Well, we can now stand and go, okay, Lord, we want to give our lives to the kingdom. We want to make ourselves available. I don't want to rely on a W-2 job. What can you do to actually get us into position to fulfill our purpose and destiny, to be a blessing to those around us, to empower them to establish the kingdom of God in their lives? You can't do that being married to a 30-year mortgage. You can't do that when you're buried in debt. You can't do that when you're just trusting God. Ah, I'm just struggling crumbs to crumbs. God wants to see you transformed. He wants to see you be amazing givers to every good work. He wants to do miracles for City Lights Church. Blake Bush just got one hope building in downtown Fort Collins for a house of prayer. He had $1,000, just to let you know, last year. He now, God has entrusted him as a steward with a $2.2 million building that God brought a businessman in to help him partner to give 24-hour house of prayer in downtown. It's open to anybody. It's amazing. Pastor Kurt went up to Blake and said, you need to pray for me. (laughs) So we laid hands on him to pray for him, to bless that city lights. Say, Lord, we need a building to do the established work that you called us to do. Put your hand to what God tells you to do. He blesses your hand that you put your hand to, not the couch your bum sits on. It's important. You got to take some steps to do that. The other thing is you need to pray so convincingly that, God, you know, that you know God so well that when he says, this is my promise for you, and even everyone around you doesn't understand it, you're committed to saying, this is what God has for me. And you pray that and speak that over your life, over your, bless, over your family, over your business, over your finances. I want to close with this. Is that clock correct? Okay. Okay, we're doing good, though. We need to wrap up. Thank you. I'm going to have the uh, prayer team come up, ministry team, uh, during this. I want to pray for four or five people here, groups of people. This is what I felt the Lord wanted to speak for Jesus, our provision. One, how many of you here, and this is really powerful, I believe, how many of you here say, you know what, Matt, uh, Pastor Kurt spoke it. Um, during the word a little bit, need healing for your finances. See, we talk about healing for our body. We talk about healing for relationships. We talk about healing for our emotions. But sometimes our finances have just taken a hit, and it just seems completely 
it's just broken. So if you're like, I need healing for my finances, would you raise your hand or just stand up? I'm going to ask several people just so we can say, yeah, healing for my finances is what I need. Because Kim and I needed healing for our finances. That's good. Just, okay, so we're, we're going to pray for you. Just stay standing. Two, second group. You need prayer for spiritual, you can say stand, spiritual wisdom. You don't know how to be a steward yet. Not condemnation, but you're just like, I don't know how to steward. I just don't have the knowledge. I need some help. I need some tools. I need some wisdom of how to be a financial steward. If you said, you know, I need, I need prayer for financial stewardship, raise your hand and stand. Third group, prayer for financial vision. Humility. I say humility is important because I would like you to go beyond prayers for just your needs and start praying, Lord, how do I help other people? See, it sounds Christian and humble when we say, Lord, just I don't need any more. I'm content with what I have. Contentment is good. That is a good godly character principle. Paul talks about that. But it also can limit what God wants to do through you. Have you ever said, man, I need some financial vision? Like to actually not only have our needs met, but to be able to have an overflow to bless others. If you said, you know what, I want to be expanded with financial vision, raise your hand or stand up. Fourth group. I got five, two more. Prayer for financial harvest or a bumper crop. You ever heard what a bumper crop is? It's a crop that's huge, above and beyond what you expected. I believe God here wants, there's some that you're, he's prepared you and he's ready to impart to you a bumper crop, a harvest. And you're saying it's time, God, to partner with that vision. And then the last one, my bonus prayer, <laughs> this is really huge. And I, I'm not gonna ask you all to stand up, but I am. <laughs> there it is, that's my only manipulation. I would like to pray for financial givers that are surrendered, all of it, all of it to him. And say, Lord, I want to be a financial giver that's above and beyond my ability, that's supernatural, that I don't trust my means, but I trust your means. All right, let's pray over y'all. And then if you want specific prayer on any of these areas, this ministry team is awesome. They'll lay hands on you and pray for those areas. But let's just do this. Let's close our eyes, lift our hands to Jesus. He is our provision. Father, right now, we thank you. You are our provider. You are our Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. And Lord, you have provided in Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you. You are our provision. Father, right now, I pray and speak over every person that needs financial healing. Holy Spirit, right now, heal their hearts, heal their finances, where they need a miraculous breakthrough. Father, we pray for those that need financial wisdom and stewardship. They just need the tools and the understanding, the knowledge of godly biblical principles. Give them, Lord, those tools that they need. Three, I pray for vision. I pray for vision for every person here, Lord, that they would partner with the covenant of purpose and destiny that you have for them. And that they would see beyond just their means and see vision of what you want to do through them. For, Father, I pray for breakthrough for a bumper crop, for a harvest. I know there's many here who are believing some amazing vision. They're good stewards. They've learned the tools. They have vision. And now, Father God, they need breakthrough. They need a bumper crop of harvest. They need breakthrough, Lord, to open up doors that only you can do, God. They need to see their promised land. So, Father, I pray right now, supernaturally, this week, steps to be opened up for that. And finally, God, we pray for every single one of us. Lord, would you, I surrender. We just say, Lord, we surrender. We take all that you've given us, and we lay it at the altar. 
Lord, 10% not yours. Lord, it's all yours. It's all yours, Lord. Father, forgive me when I've tried to hold back. Father, forgive me for when I haven't trusted you. I thank you, Lord, that you're not condemning us. But Father, now I want to partner with you more than I ever have. And I want to hear your voice for, for it be able to give to every good work to establish your covenant. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Emily, come on.